Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at financial planning professionals and also those who are looking to enter the financial planning profession. We will be talking during the podcast about all things certified financial planner certification related, talking to other CFPs around the world, and also we will be dropping in on some new entrants who've just entered the financial planning profession, and we'll be checking up along the way on a regular basis with them to see how they're getting on. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. And on today's podcast, I I have a very, very special guest with me. And that is Tina Weeks from Serenity Financial Planning. Welcome, Tina. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Jackie. And we are going to delve in another recording about all things financial planning related and certified financial planning related, aren't we? We are. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Excellent. So just give us a bit of background about yourself, about how you got into the profession, because I've been talking to quite a lot of ladies recently who have either found it difficult to get into the financial planning profession or who don't haven't really seen that many role models of people like themselves recently. Well, I hesitate to call myself a veteran. But I have been around quite a long time. Um, I've been involved in financial services since the middle of the 90s, so quite a long time. And in those days, really, you didn't really have many options for uh, really good financial planning firms to join. And, uh, And I typically went down the Tide Advisor route, which was um, interesting to say the least. And I didn't actually even discover true financial planning to around 2008. And it was just such a light bulb moment for me. It was around the same time that I discovered life planning, actually. So put the two together, financial life planning. And for me, it was absolutely what I wanted to do and the direction I wanted to take my business in. So a bit of a roundabout way of getting there. <laughs> it is. But that's that's kind of chalk and cheese going from, you know, basically product selling to, you know, full on, you know, comprehensive, holistic, every kind of phrase that you want to use um, for from one extreme to the other of two two types of, you know, financial advice to financial planning with with the, you know, the life centered planning involved as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I missed a few steps in between in that I did have uh, a mortgage broker role and I role so I was edging towards it but yeah discovering true financial planning just it it was chalk and cheese it's the it's the best way of describing it it's nothing like um financial advice which is what I call um the traditional way of sitting down with a client discovering which financial product they didn't have and selling them that yeah yeah. I've, one of my favourite bugbears, as you already know, is, you know, people who are saying that they're financial planners who actually aren't doing financial planning. Yeah, we see that a lot these days. And I'm not sure what we can do about that. And like with a lot of things that we see out there that we don't agree with, I think all we can do is just put out a really good way of doing it, be the role model, show people how it's done. And hopefully in time, clients will learn to look for what we do and understand the difference and not settle for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And so, you know, you talk about that time that you you 
experienced financial planning. Tell us about how you came across it. But I came across it initially when I went to um, one of Paul Armson's workshops. So it all coincided with time that I discovered the IFP too. So it was all happening. It was all happening. It was around 2008. It was, um, it was completely new to me and it, it, it added to some of the missing pieces. I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to really make a difference to people and you know, have that, um, be that support person, be the trusted advisor. I knew all of that, but I didn't know what all the pieces were and how to put it together. And that was my first experience of what it could be. So getting getting um, sub- subjected <laughs> sounds awful, doesn't it? But finding out about financial planning and finding out that this way of working could deliver all those missing pieces for me I, it was just so exciting. Yeah. I, it just, I felt excited for such a long time finding it out. Oh, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. And so it was financial planning first. And then how did you come across the Certified Financial Planner Assessment? Well, that happened because I had, because I had discovered the IFP and I got involved with it and got involved with a lot of the, um, the events that they put on, both um, technical events and social events and got to meet loads of people and thought oh what's this this qualification they all have and and decided to get in, to try and have a go in 2011. Wow wow so that's that's quite a journey so <laughs> kind of three years of kind of rolling around in the IFP and immersing yourself into all things you know holistic financial planning related and then decided to, to take on the Certified Financial Planner Assessment. Now, back in those days, we were talking about the, as I term it, the old Level 6 Certified Financial Planner Assessment, which was, it's quite a mountain to climb, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I've been looking at the Level 7. I'm not sure what the difference is between the two, um, but it certainly was not easy. It was, it, it, I don't know if the current... Um, one is in one big case study. I believe it isn't. Is it? Is it in two chunks? It's in. So there's a level six exam which tests tax calculations and things like that, and then there's a level seven assessment which is a case study similar to the old case study, but you are given more information. So you're given tax calcs and given some of the assumptions that you need to use. So where a lot of people, which I think we'll probably get into shortly, a lot of people struggle with the old level six primarily because of the tax calculations. Yeah. Um, and then when things go south, obviously, if, if the tax calc's wrong, then your net disposable income's wrong, which means then you can't prove affordability for any of the recommendations that you make. Uh, so then that throws the whole plan, you know, basically out of the window. I know, one little thing wrong on that, and it has such a knock-on effect, doesn't it? It, it does. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so... You you undertook the the certified financial planner the old level six assessment back in two thousand and eleven yeah and you had a tough old time of it didn't you with the, the way that the assessment was set up then yeah I did I really struggled and it, it ended up being quite a traumatic experience for me um the reality of it was that I just couldn't get to grips with the marking system I felt that it was unfair I felt that they were um, changing the goalposts, there were some inaccuracies that they weren't willing to look at for me. 
And I ended up walking away from that without the qualification and so upset that actually it took me till now to restart it. And I'm really glad I did. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, not great that you had that experience, but great to hear that you you found that you wanted to continue and take it back up again. And you, congratulations, because you gained your certified financial planner a few months ago, didn't you? Yeah, just in my birthday week in October. So it was a lovely birthday present. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, congratulations. So Thank you. But looking back on that journey up to the point, we'll talk about what happened with your, your new um, CISI, you know, CFP assessment in a moment. But looking back, um, you know, how did you feel that that process, apart from being traumatic, were there any positives that you could take out of it? Oh my gosh, Jackie, so many. Everyone always says that the CFP is the exam that where you learn the most and, and the one that has the most impact and helps you most with your financial planning career. I agree with that wholeheartedly. That was definitely the case for me. So back in 2011, while I was struggling with the the marking of the assessments, what I learned was invaluable. And it was around the time when I was transitioning from a mortgage stroke IFA type of business to a true financial planning business. And everything I learned really did help. So give us an give us an, an, an example of something that you that you learned. Well, the biggest thing really was to give me a framework. You know, whilst you know you, the old traditional financial advice model was um, clear in my mind, there were lots of gaps. And how do I move from that to be able to deliver this this financial planning model? What what do I need to do? And the CFP helped helped me understand and and gave me that framework to follow. Whilst I don't think it's a good idea to present a client with a hundred page case study document. It gave me that the, like I said, the skeleton knowledge of what the process looks like and also the sorts of things that I needed to consider to make sure that it was being done correctly, accurately and in the client's favour. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, certainly when when I was a paraplanner back in the day, similar sort of time frame we were talking about here, we um, we used to quite often give advice to clients in, you know, in little pockets. So they would come in and sort their retirement out or they would be worried about, you know, if something happened to, you know, one of them or, you know, they were ill or something like that. And we would basically go, okay, we'll get our sticking plaster and we'd stick it on that. Yeah. Um, but we wouldn't actually think about the ramifications of whether you could get to retirement, you know, if you were ill. Um, So we would just give you an income replacement policy or permanent health insurance, as they were called in those days. And then we'd send you merrily on your way, thinking everything was fine, where actually the reality was that there was so much more that we should have done, could have done, um, if we had looked at things more holistically. I mean, the truth is, financial planning is... It can't be done in little pockets. Everything is connected and everything tends to have a knock-on effect to some other aspect of your financial planning. You need to look at everything, all the areas. And even if they're areas that you don't really need to do much about now, you still need to bear them in mind when you're presenting a financial plan to to a client. They need to understand every area. And, you know, your analogy of a sticking plaster is great. If you do that, you're missing out 
so much of what's important and to that client and where you can actually add value. It's a completely different experience for a client when they sit down with a financial planner who you know, wants to understand them and their situation and takes them through a much more comprehensive process to address all areas rather than just looking for gaps in the products that they hold. Yeah, 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 that's very interesting. And I think there are, you know, I've talked to quite a lot of, you know, financial advisors who want to do start doing financial planning, but don't have a real handle on it. Um, and some people that, you know, they're kind of thinking, right, so many people have said the CFP gives me that light bulb moment. It gives clients the light bulb moment. But as a planner, it gives you a, that light bulb moment of really realising just how comprehensive everything is and all of those things that you were missing out when you were giving financial advice before. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had a few light bulb moments. One of them was um, coming across financial planning and the impact it can have. And then alongside that, a component of that, I believe, is financial, is, is cash flow modelling. That's really important too. And then the biggest light bulb moment of all for me was the relationship piece yeah. and understanding how building really good, solid relationships with your clients where they, where they feel safe enough to talk about anything that's important to them, you know, that is such a benefit and such a value add. And the wraparound is the financial planning. You yeah. can't do that if you're doing transactional business. No. And I think, you know, where people are going wrong is I've come across an increasing number, particularly of wealth managers who say that comprehensive financial planning is just cash flow planning, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? No, no, no. I always used to say that for me, cash flow modelling was um, a way to use software to illustrate the connection between financial planning and life planning. Mm. You know, we could we could do the financial planning piece, we could do the life planning piece, and it was difficult for clients to see the two together. And cash flow modelling brought it all to life, particularly yeah. if you if you worked through you know, a variety of models that you could use the client's words to illustrate to them. Now, if you did this, if you took time off, this is what it would look like. If you, you know, changed career, if you spent this money, if you helped your children, if any possible scenario you could come up with, if you could use that to model it for them, they would engage with it so much better. Yeah. And that's what helped the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many different facets to a relationship with a client, aren't there? That um, that I think we do, we don't really, when we're starting out giving advice, setting up our own businesses initially, that first experience with clients, we don't realise the ramifications and the skills that we actually need to be able to help clients, you know, articulate what they want to show them what they want. Yeah, it's a it's a huge skill I think that we all need to have. It's I think it's a given that we have to be technically qualified. We have to have the technical qualifications, that goes without saying. But I think we're privileged enough to do this amazing role where clients come to us and they share so much of their lives with us that we owe it to them to make sure we upskill in whatever in, in that relationship piece so that we can really deliver to them what it is that they need and yeah. allow them to go down that path without constantly coming back to what we feel comfortable with. And that might be the technical piece. Yeah, yeah. I can remember going into meetings myself, you know, as the power planner, thinking that I need to be, you know, the proverbial encyclopedia of all things technical. <laughs> 
And <laughs> it was just so far from the truth looking back on it. But at the time, you think that you kind of need to demonstrate your qualifications, don't you? I think all of us have been there. We just think <laughs> the, the way we illustrate our value and how we gain respect um, from a client is to show how much we know. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Over the years, I've realised clients really don't care about that. They really don't. They yeah. want to know that you care. They want to know that you understand them. They want to know how your advice makes a difference to them. They want to know if they are going, are going to have enough money to do all the things that they want to do. They want to know if they and their family are going to be okay. Yeah. That's what they want to know. And they, And I think it's our obligation, like I said earlier, to make sure that we've got the skills to build those relationships and deliver to these clients the things that we know will make a massive difference to their life. Yeah, yeah. So that's so knowing all of that and obviously experiencing and exposing yourself, if you like, to the world of the IFP and financial planning, why did you decide to finally undertake the Certified Financial Planner a second time and then obviously passed? Why, why, what made you think, right, okay, after all the, you know, this passage of time has passed, um, you know, what made you think, mm, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it now? Well, I learned a lot the first time round, but it also was quite a difficult experience. And that's why it took such a long time to come back to it. But it always felt like unfinished business. It felt like I'd done all the work and not got the badge. Yeah. And, I want, and I wanted the badge. And in attempting to get the badge this time, I actually found it to be a much better experience. And, I, and that was something that I was really um, pleased about. It was... I was dreading it, to be honest, and it turned out to be completely different. So I'm really pleased I did it. And I'm pleased that I got to experience it working in, in a much better way than it did back in 2011. Good, good. Glad to hear it. And have you learned, do you think anything has changed in your mind through going through the, the assessment a second time over? Or do you think it's kind of just the icing on the cake, you know, consolidation of everything that you have been doing since 2011 anyway? Um, yeah, it's mainly just that consolidation and being able to say I finally got the badge, but also, you know, a reminder of of everything that's important in financial planning and focusing again on you know the things that we do in the business anyway, like spending a lot of time working, looking at assumptions. <laughs> Anyone who's done the CFP will <laughs> say that the assumption piece is such a massive piece. And I, I don't know many people who love it. <laughs> I certainly didn't having to do it as part of a case study, but it, it, as part of conversations within the business, it, it's made for some really, really good um, discussions around you know what we believe and what we want to bring to the table and, and doing it again helped me you know cement those ideas and those discussions again and, and confirm to me yeah that you know we are on the on the right path this is what we want to do this is how we want to deliver financial planning to clients yeah so talking of assumptions perhaps my favorite subject <laughs> oh no oh no I'm landing myself in it now <laughs> Um, how does you, how do you monitor what you put in the in the financial plan as far as assumptions and things like that go? Because I guess you probably have an investment committee of some sort where you have yeah. a regular sit down. Do you include a discussion about assumptions in those kinds of committees, or is it a separate discussion, or is it just when something 
you know, a client says something or how about looking at it this way or whatever, that it kind of triggers a conversation about those sorts of things? Um, I mean, when a client um, makes uh, a comment about how or a suggestion about how things are done, then we we would tend to look at it and have a discussion for that client. But we do have an investment committee and we have an in-depth conversation around assumptions where everyone gives their input. We look at, you know, current data, what's going on around us. We look at what other firms are doing too. We find that quite interesting. And we make sure that we try and break the model, to be honest. We try and look at what we've got and, and try and critique it so that whatever we keep in in the assumptions box are things that we are as happy as we can be with because you you know you just never know for sure one of the things we say to clients is we we make as realistic assumptions as we possibly can with the view that as soon as we put your financial plan in place it's going to start being inaccurate from day one yeah so we have to keep coming back to it we have to keep reviewing not just the, the financial plan, but the underlying elements. And a big part of that is the assumptions. Yeah, yeah. And I think it is quite a big part of, the, uh, of that, you know, having those assumptions in place and actually actually having the confidence as a financial planner to tell the client that as soon as the plan's put in place, it's essentially going to be out of date, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And to, and to be able to let clients have that information so that they can be knowledgeable around it too. Now, how many times has a client said, you know, why are you using that level, that assumption for inflation when inflation has been much lower than that for quite a while? And you have to be confident enough to explain that, you know, we're looking at a much longer time period. And we think that the assumption that we've made is much more realistic for the time frame that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and, you know, because we are planning forward for their timeframes to meet their objectives, not to meet our own objectives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we mostly keep company wide assumptions. However, um, <laughs> a simple one, for example, on longevity, I would say to a client, if you know for sure <laughs> that you know, I, I can change that, then let me know and I'd be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure that raises a few eyebrows or smiles, depending on the uh, personality of the person you're talking oh, to. I've had a couple of clients who said, oh, no, I won't be living to 100. Oh, right, no problem. What, what do you know for sure that that <laughs> needs to change to? And I'll do it right now. And they go, all right, then we'll leave it for 100. <laughs> But actually, those kinds of even joking about that kind of thing, it, it opens the door to have those very serious conversations, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the real value and the real benefit of financial planning and, you know, and life planning as well comes in, doesn't it? It really comes into its own because you're not afraid to go to those places, to have those kinds of discussions, to help the clients see what life might be like for, you know, their spouses, their children, other wider family members, you know, perhaps when, if they're, they're you know, once they passed away or, you know, if they change tack on their job and all of those sorts of things. And I think that's that's really one of the biggest values, isn't it? I think a lot of us struggle to talk about things that we feel that a client might find difficult. Um, I've always been okay talking about death and illness. And surprisingly, even though I've been quite ill myself over the last year, all that's done is 
confirmed to me that they're really important conversations and now I feel even more comfortable but I I do try and remind myself that you know if clients are feeling uncomfortable just to tread lightly there and embark on those conversations with with a bit of sensitivity so that you keep them on board and you keep them engaged and they don't shut out from you because it's something that they struggle to to think about or to um, attach to their own situation and In financial planning allows us to, if we can do it sensitively, to have conversations that I think a lot of people are scared to have. And because of that, make plans and make adjustments to the financial plan to accommodate those things. It's so important. Yeah. I had a quite a recent example a couple of years ago. My godparents, one of them had open heart surgery and they decided to do lasting powers of attorney. And um, and that opened up a really interesting discussion about, you know, if if the worst happened, who wanted to be switched off if they were on a life support? Oh. And, and you know, one of them wanted to be switched off straight away and the other one wanted to hang around, in their words, hang around to annoy everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, without talking about financial planning and then without, you know, that doing, the, you know, those life events, they, they cause those kinds of discussions and you, you can't be afraid to go down that route and I always joke with them now that I can't remember who wants to be switched off and who's hanging around um but um but you know it's really important to be able to you know to talk about those serious aspects to make sure that the client's fully aware and actually it brings out those discussions like you know with my godparents it they had discussions and we had discussions about what they wanted for their wider family um and and we could put some things in place now, you know, they're both still alive and well, thank God. But they it meant that they could have time to think about those sorts of things and actually make decisions that, you know, in line with their wishes rather than thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I haven't done it or, you know, leaving everything to the last minute. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And whilst I'm always careful not to um, say anything against other ways of working in financial services, both whether it be um, a transactional type of um, relationship, there are lots of situations where that is appropriate or purely a wealth management um, model. Like I said, a lot of clients want purely that and that's fine. But for me personally, I found that it was only through financial planning or financial life planning, as I as I adhere to, that I was really able to make a, a big difference to people and how they live their life on a day to day basis. Mm. And and if if people listening to this are that way inclined, if that's the support, the sort of financial planner that they want to be, it's financial planning that gives you that that route, that ability to be able to influence inspire motivate help people to absolutely live their best life yeah and that's why this job's just brilliant I love it it's such a privilege to do this work and as far as attracting and retaining clients for your business has gone have you I mean you set your stall out that it's this is what you get isn't it yeah. I'm what you get this is everything you know the life financial planning and all the rest of it you get everything if you if you come to me you get the whole kitten caboodle yeah absolutely I think it's important that as businesses we do set out our store and decide how we want to work and what our own personal business model is 
but I'm very conscious of the fact that a lot of people have never been given the opportunity to have these conversations. They've never really thought about their money or their finances in this way before. So if someone's a little bit reluctant in the beginning, I think it's important that we give them space and we give them the safety to explore this without saying, well, you know what? You don't fit my model, off you go. Yeah. You know, to appreciate the money is a really difficult subject and people's relationship with money often stops them having conversations or taking things further, making plans that they need to. And often those end up being some really good clients that you can really help. So a little bit of patience sometimes and, you know, going down that path tentatively to give them that space if they need it to open up and be able to see what you can do is definitely my advice. Yeah. And I think, you know, is that's probably because, as you said, most people, most clients haven't experienced anything like that before. And being able to give them that, that safe, comfortable environment to be able to to open up even if they want to have the discussions or maybe they don't want to have them right now but to to have the trigger that thought process so they can go away and think about it or discuss it between them um you know if you've got couples coming in then then that's a really valuable point isn't it yeah I think so and that's certainly what I've done over the years as long as you know they understand that there, there are some non-negotiables. You know, I've had clients in the past that say they want to come and work with me and they want it to be completely performance-based. So I will be paid depending on the performance that I could deliver. Mm. That will never work. Not with no. me. That's, that, that's not something I can entertain at all, ever. So, you know, sometimes you just know that that, that sort of approach is wrong and therefore that, well, wrong for you and that, that relationship isn't going to work. But when a client comes to you and they, they just have never experienced what you do and need a bit of time to, to get to grips with it and be able to experience the benefits because it's really hard to tell them up front what that will be until they can feel it themselves, then it's really hard for them to make that decision. Yeah, 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 that's amazing. And I think it's it's transformational, isn't it, when the clients are able to start making those kinds of decisions after having, you know, going through those various thought processes and being challenged by you? I, I hesitate to use the word transformational because I think people use it a lot in inappropriate contexts these days. But without a doubt, that is exactly what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you can feel the energy in someone when you've taken them through um, a coaching conversation where suddenly they can see something that they couldn't see before and they can start thinking about living in a completely different way that's m much more beneficial to them and their families. You feel the energy coming off them. There is a change in them physically. You can see it. And, and that's one of the reasons why I say this job is just so fantastic because in that moment, that is contagious. And yeah. you, you get to feel it too. You get to feel that change in someone, to feel that you were able to bring about that change. And yeah, and that's why I love financial life planning. It's just the best job in the world. <laughs> I can tell. Um, and how do you keep clients on track because I can imagine that you have probably experienced where clients had their light bulb moment and then they've kind of they've committed to do things with you and then perhaps haven't delivered you know they go back to the office they go back home life takes over 
how how have you dealt with that trying to keep them on track because I guess they're really fired up in the meeting um and then naturally I guess we you know our attention span wanes once we've left doesn't it yeah real um, life kicks in and then you have to pick up the kids from school and go yeah. back to work and do all the things that distract you from this amazing thing that happened to you in a financial planner's office yeah and um, you know we we, we have annual review meetings with clients and and sometimes that's for something that's really important that they need to address quite quickly that's too long to wait so we try and keep in touch with them beforehand to make sure that they've got that accountability and are able to um what well, are more likely to get on with it because they know that we're going to be there by their side checking up on them yes. and, and encouraging them to do the things that they said were important but quite a few times I've sat down with clients a year or two years down the line and, and I've had to say, you know, you know that thing, that thing that you were really fired up about that you said was really important to you and you definitely wanted to do and you couldn't imagine life without it. Well, we're two years on now and you've tried, we've tried and it, it hasn't happened. Should we look at it again? Should we look at whether or not it is as important as you as you said it was back then and what it is that stopped you doing that and whether or not something else has come in and overtaken it that's more important yeah so either way it gives you an opportunity to still come back to the things that are important to them and continually address them and change them and you know sometimes we think something's really important and then we realize actually it wasn't when we when we make it part of the plan and you actually have to do it, think, oh, well, I thought it was what I wanted to do, but now I'm not so sure. Yeah, the reality is different sometimes. And that's okay, because what that allows us to do is actually cross that off the list and move on to something else that might have been more important, that that might have been shadowing. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating, isn't it? How you can just kind of, you know, I think so many of us fall into that trap, don't we, of kind of getting, you know, getting getting the go get up and go about one particular thing or having a lifelong ambition to do something and then when you actually face with the opportunity to achieve it you kind of go "Mm, actually I want to do something different (laughs) yeah and that's okay and that's okay as long as you know that's the actual reason it's not because it's not a confidence thing or an ability thing because if that's the case then our jobs as financial planners is to help them find those things and, and and be able to move forward with it yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the profession over the last few years about vulnerable clients and how to identify whether they're vulnerable. And and I think, you know, doing, you know, holistic financial planning, um, you know, with the Life Centre financial planning involved as well, you know, that must really give you it gives you a great insight into, you know, their state of mind and how things are changing as you're seeing them on a regular basis as well, doesn't it? Yes, spot on, Jackie. The relationship piece is what allows you to see things that you might not have seen if it was a, if it was a much more superficial relationship. You can see early on, you know, right from the beginning of the relationship, you know, if they disclose something, that's all fair enough. But many times, it's something that you pick up, a changing them or their circumstances that is different to how you know that client was or how their circumstances were. And you can't really do that if you haven't got something to compare it to. So long-term relationships allow you to pick up on that 
in a much easier way. Although, <laughs> I did, just as a little aside, we did have a situation where we had a 98-year-old client who we classed as vulnerable because of her age, and she was not happy about that. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be really careful. We wasn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't mean for that to happen, but it it showed us and it allowed us to think about vulnerability and our definition of it, and that sometimes clients don't agree with it. Why mm. should someone be classed as vulnerable just because of their age? She was sharp. She understood what we were talking about. There was no reason to class her as vulnerable. So we learned our lesson and we learned from her. <laughs> yes, very valuable lesson to learn, actually. <laughs> and I think, you know, this is the difficulty, the, the kind of concerns that I have you using that term vulnerable client. I understand why it has to be there, but it's, it feels like, you know, sticking a label on somebody, doesn't it? Then you have to tell the client that you're going to treat them slightly differently. I know, I think it's Sola that say, you know, why don't you call it, you know, extra extra care or extra support or something like that rather than vulnerability? Well, like I said, we learned our lesson and we do, we would never call a client vulnerable. We wouldn't use it in their paperwork. But once, if we if we identify something that they need, we will, we will make sure that they get what they need without having to explicitly use terminology that makes them feel less than in yes. any way. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I still something, agree. you know, I think all, all of us are, are struggling with it a little bit just to make sure that, you know, we have a process in place to identify, but also how do we communicate that to clients and then what are the actions that we we need to take to make sure that 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 client receives what they need and how is it different from everybody else yeah yeah fascinating stuff fascinating stuff thank you for all that so let's we are rapidly running out of time Tina I'm definitely going to have you on again to nutter some more because I feel like we haven't got into the depths of all of the the kind of more personal interpersonal aspects of financial planning um but just to to think about return back to the CFP you know there are quite a lot of people who are either sitting on the fence, thinking about starting their journey to become a CFP professional, thinking about whether it's worth the hassle, um, you know, maybe they're chartered elsewhere, um, you know, they want to change their business or perhaps branch out on their own, start their own business. Um, do you have any tips or any advice for anybody in that sort of situation? Um, I would certainly suggest that people did it, but of course I would say that. I think the CFP is a practical application of the technical knowledge that people that financial planners have and it's that practical application that really helps you see how you can use the knowledge that you've acquired in your day-to-day -day work with clients so it's invaluable if people are thinking about doing it some of the tips that i can give them is you know plan your time this it is a very time consuming qualification to go through so make sure that you think about how that fits into your life and your work so that you can give it the time that it deserves. I I tend to be a leave it to the last minute sort of person, and I, and I and I've often paid the price for that. So if you can plan your time better, particularly when you have you know obviously there are deadlines, but you need to allow sufficient time to be able to ask questions, review what you what you've done, rather than just think, well, I've got to submit it by tomorrow and it's going whether it's right or wrong. If you start early on in the process, you've got time to to run it past 
people, to, you know, to ask questions, to see, you know, if there's anything you're not sure of, you can deal with it rather than leaving it completely to the last minute. Mm. Um, and one of the things I didn't know before that I learned with this sitting is that if there's something that's not clear, either in your case study or the feedback that you've received, just drop them a line and ask for clarification. I didn't realise that you can do that. And I did it this time and it was really helpful. Um, And the other tip is, and I'm not sure if the CISI is still doing this, but I was really lucky to be assigned um, another CFP professional that had gone through the process to come in and help me out with some of the things that I found difficult. His name was Chris Thompson. He was fantastic. And I think it made a massive difference to whether or not I passed or failed because he'd done it more recently than I had and he was more familiar with what they were looking for. So I was able to deal with those aspects and present it in a way that met the criteria that was required. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think having the support, isn't it, really important to get that support. Yeah, otherwise you feel you feel like you're completely on your own. And now when I see people like you and others offering the training and through groups and and support in that way, I feel a little bit jealous to be honest. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's great that you're doing it. It's really good. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for. Tina, it's been an absolute pleasure as always to talk to you. Um, Thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. And I'm sure our listeners will be very eager to to listen to you again. And hopefully you will um, accept another invitation to come on and talk a bit more about financial planning at some point, perhaps next year. Yeah, you're really welcome, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me on. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's really interesting, isn't it, to listen to other people's points of view about different things, all relating to our wonderful financial planning profession. If you know anyone who might be interested in listening to any of these podcasts, please pass on our details to them. So that's it from me. Join me again next time when we'll be talking all things Certified Financial Planner related and also dropping in on our new entrance to the financial planning profession. Bye for now.